Turn with me to John chapter 14. I would like to, to I'm going to plant a couple things in your mind real quick before we launch into this. Um, let's see here. Um, I need some, some help. Um, Noah, Jacob, and Kyle, can you guys come up here for a second? Asher, can I get your help for just a second? It's, all you have to do is stand here. All you have to do is stand here. Timmy, can you come on up? I need your help. You're scared. Don't be scared. L- hey, Lily, can I get your help? It's not bad. It's not bad, I promise. Um, so just a visual representation of a few things. I, I want to just do an overview of where we've been in John. I'm going to move you guys around here in a second. We did this a few weeks ago. Um, n- nothing scary. You don't have to do anything. Um, but just to run us through, because we're about halfway through the book of John, I want to show you a few things of where we've, we've been, what John has told us about. At, in John chapter 20, and, and if you don't have this highlighted already, um, you, you should turn there. In John chapter 20, verse 30, John tells us the purpose of this book. Now, this is almost the very end of John. But this is what he says. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe, say believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, say believing, you may have life in his name. So what is, this is the purpose of the book, so that you can have life in the name of Jesus Christ. These are just not just great Bible stories. These aren't just to encourage you if you're having a bad day, although the Bible can do that, right? These are actually written so that you can believe Jesus is the Christ and you may have life. Uh, so what have we read? Well, John opened up, you remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then Jesus calls his disciples to himself. And then we have um, the wedding at Cana. Come here, I want you to come over here. And Jesus at the wedding of Cana, he takes the water and he does that miracle, right? He turns the water into wine, which, you know, drunkards today use for bad purposes, um, well, Jesus drank wine. You should go read your Bible more. Um, then what does Jesus do? Well, immediately after that, come here. Um, you got your, here, scoot down just a little bit here. Uh, then Jesus, he, he, clears, he clears the temple, and uh, he turns over the tables and everything. Here, here, I need to borrow a chair. Sorry, I need you to, oh, hang on. We don't want to break the sunglasses. All right, just tip the chair over there. Jesus, he turned over the table like, like you're angry. Oh, look how angry he got. He clears the temple, and immediately after this, a Pharisee named Nicodemus comes and sees Jesus at night. A religious leader. Then, uh, Lily, can I borrow you? Lily, stand right here. The next story, we have the Samaritan woman 
who is an outcast. Lily's not an outcast. She's great. An outcast of society who comes and sees Jesus by accident in the middle of the day. And we contrasted these two stories. Oh, here's a religious leader well-known. Here's a nobody that's a social outcast. Here's someone who intentionally goes, seeks out Jesus in the middle of the night, and here's someone who accidentally runs into the Jesus in the middle of the day. Very different in everything in those two stories. And guess who Jesus decided to pay, of the two, guess who Jesus decided to pay attention to? Both of them. Right? And this reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. One son said, Dad, I wish you were dead, and ran. And then when he came to himself, came back to that after doing everything wrong that you can do wrong. And the father saw him, he saw him coming, ran to him, and threw the party. And we like to end the story there, because we just saw that was the outcast. But that's not where the story ends. Then the father looks around the party and notices that his older son, the religious one, is out of the party throwing a fit. And what does the father do? He goes to the older son too and says, wait a minute, you've got this wrong. Let me correct you too. Like the Lord isn't, like we like to say, well, Jesus, he really liked to confront the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He did. He also wanted them to come to know him as Savior and Lord. And so I love these two stories and how they're in there. Um, Then, uh, Jesus then heals a lame man by the pool. Here, you can be lame. Sit down. This guy's not lame. He's cut. I just don't know if you've seen. He's working out. He can't walk. And what does Jesus do? He's, he's trying to get in the water. What does Jesus do? He heals this lame man um, right there. So act like your leg's hurting or something. <laughs> there you go. Just pretend that you did back squat this week, right? Your leg's hurt. Um, so then, here, then Jesus, what does he do? He, he feeds the 5,000 and he walks on water. Here, step up on the stage like you're... One time we had a minister come to this church and say, we don't know if Jesus was actually walking on the water or if he was hovering just above it. And I was like, okay, I guess you're right. He goes, what if I just walked off the stage and hovered out? And I was like, that would be kind of cool, I guess. So Jesus, he feeds the 5,000, but then he walks on water. So this is going to represent that right here. Here, scooch over that way just a little bit. See where I'm going. Then... Jesus is at the Feast of the Booths where he declares, I am. Which, what is he saying there? He's saying he's God. He is Yahweh. He says, I am, and then he heals a blind man. So I want you to cover your eyes. There you go. Or actually, Shane, can I borrow your glasses? Here you go. Here with the, bl- the glasses have come back in. Here you go. Heals the blind man. And then, I need one more person. Can I borrow you? Come on over here. And then the next story we have is Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. They had Lazarus wrapped up like a mummy here. That's your mummy cloth there. I don't know. I couldn't think of anything better. And then immediately he claims that he's equal with God. In fact, it's actually the opposite of that. I I reverse that. He claims he's equal with God, and then he raises Lazarus from the dead. 
and we see a lot about the heart and motion of Jesus. And so this is actually the first half of the book of John. Everything from the wedding at Cana, getting mad in the temple, meeting with the Pharisee, the Samaritan woman, the lame man, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, saying, I am the bread of life, healing the blind man and raising Lazarus from the dead, declaring himself equal to God. He's going through all of these miracles and things. They call them the seven signs from the book of John. And, and there's these I am statements he continually makes through the book of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. And like we talked about last week, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then like we said a while ago, he just said, I am. And so all of these things that are in the book of John are written, why? So that we would believe Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in his name, we can have life. Let's give these guys a hand. Thank you for letting me pick on you. Those are Shane's. Thank you. That's the first half of the book of John, and, and that's what we've walked through over the last several months, and I thought we were going slow until an, I saw another pastor who started this series, too, uh, a year before us, and saw that he was also in John 14 this week, so apparently we're moving faster than them. Um, all that happens, and then we have the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry which starts with the triumphal entry, and then we get to what we call the Last Supper, which is where we are right now. So the last half of the book of John is Jesus really just discipling his disciples. They've seen all these miracles. They've seen these things and more, John says. And so now we're at this place where Jesus is having this last meal with his disciples, and he wants to instill in them a few things before he dies on the cross. Like, like, he realizes this is just human nature. The last things you say to someone are the things that stick with them. That's why we remember people's last words, right? So I want you to put that into the context of your mind. And then I want to bring you back to... to what was said just a little bit ago by Danny... And by Wes, like we have these warring natures of why don't I do the things like that's what Paul said. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But let's start in verse 12 of chapter 14. This is what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you that 25 times Jesus says that in the book of John. It means listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Well, that's interesting. Jesus is saying greater works. And, and if you go research this, some people say it means he'll, you'll do greater works than Jesus. Some people think it's just greater in number works than Jesus. What does it mean? What are works? And so if you actually look back through the book of John, there's two kinds of works shown in the book of John. 
You can just write these down for your notes. In chapter 7, verse 21, and in chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus describes his miracles as works. They're specifically called works. These are the works that I do. These works show that I am the Christ, is what he says. But if you look in 629 and 839, these works are actually acts of faith. Just putting your faith in Jesus. Putting your faith in Him. Having the faith to do something. And so some people say, well, it just means you got to have faith. And some people say, well, it's you got to do miracles. And can I tell you this morning, if you read the book of John, it's both. You can't simplify it to either one. And, and I love this because it doesn't say, truly, truly, I say to you, you disciples that are sitting here with me tonight will do the works that I do. Who does it say? It says, whoever believes in me. Whoever believes in me. Well, what about 2,000 years later after all the apostles, the 12 apostles are dead? Is it still whoever believes in me? Yeah, and, and, and I can say this morning, I've, I've seen both of these things. I've seen great acts of just having faith and miracles happen even in this church right here. We, we've seen people miraculously healed. The Lord is still in the healing business. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, can I tell you what this does mean and what it doesn't mean? What it doesn't mean is, if you just add in Jesus' name to the end of any prayer, you're going to get what you want. Lord, I need a brand new sports car in the name of Jesus. I need two more, you said? Lord, I need two sports cars. Oh, okay, oh, two more agree. Uh, yeah, I get it, and it will be done. There, there are ministers who have taken this and twisted it, and they call it the prosperity gospel, and, and I'm not, that's a mixed bag. There's some things they believe, faith, yes, that's good, right? It's good to have faith. It's good to believe the word. It's good to declare the word. Um, but man, the, none of the disciples must have had faith because all those guys died martyrs and broke and like they must have just been terrible they didn't have houses or wealth or riches you know what they did have they did have treasures in heaven and so some of it's twisted and i don't want to throw out everything those guys preach and do but there's some things that i have a problem with that they'll twist this verse and just say well just say in jesus name and it's yours and that's not what this teaches what does it mean to ask for something in jesus name what it means to ask for it with his authority like, do you realize as sons and daughters, we have the authority of Christ? One way I like to look at it is, like, my dad has an office in Berryville, an accounting firm, and, and for most people to walk into that office and meet with my dad, they have to make an appointment. They have to pick up the phone and call and make an appointment. But when I go there, because I'm his son, I just open the door and walk straight back in the office. 
Usually I ask, is there someone back there with him? Just to be polite to that person. But if I just want to go see my dad, I just go see my dad. Why? Because I'm his son. When I'm his son, I, I have rights, right? I have, there's an authority that comes with being the son. And this is what Jesus is saying. Like, like we are sons of God, and, and we have authority to declare things in Jesus' name. Now, if you look at other places in Scripture, it, it clarifies. One place in Scripture says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the de- desires of your heart. Well, my desire of my heart is a new sports car. Can I tell you, if that's the desire of your heart, can I tell you what you're not doing? You're not delighting yourself in the Lord. Because what happens is, as you begin to delight yourself in the Lord, your desires change to be the same as His desires. Your wants change to be His wants. And then you begin to ask things. And it, it, it becomes like what Jesus taught the disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer. What did he teach him to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I like to pray, since, since man was made from the dust of the ground, I like to pray, Lord, on this earth as it is in heaven. On this earth, I want your kingdom come, your will be done. So when I'm asking things in Jesus' name, I'm asking that the will of the Father be done. And can I tell you, he'll reveal his will to you if you delight yourself in him, if you lean into him. Jesus is very clear about this over and over again. He talks about asking and seeking and knocking. He talks about how a good father, Matthew, we, we studied that a couple years ago. Matthew, at the Sermon on the Mount, he actually says a good father knows how to give good things to his kids. If his kids asks for a fish, he doesn't give them a snake. And if he asks for bread, he doesn't give him a rock because the good father knows what you need. In fact, the scripture says he knows what you need before you ask. And so if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more does our heavenly father? This is what it means to ask for things in the name of Jesus. One, to ask with the purpose and intent and will of the father because we're delighting ourselves in him but also to ask with the authority of the Son. I can ask for things in Jesus' name. I'm an ambassador for the kingdom of God. Everywhere I go, anything I do, I'm an ambassador for the kingdom of God. And so if the word says that by his stripes we were healed, then we can lay the hands on the sick and declare the kingdom of God into that situation and say we're praying for healing in Jesus' name because the word of God says so. So we don't have to be afraid to ask. Sometimes we're afraid, well, what if I pray and God doesn't heal them? Or what if I pray and God doesn't meet that need? I, I'm going to say, don't, don't pray in fear. Pray in faith. I don't fully understand the why behind the nose to some of our prayers. I don't get that. I do know I'm going to continue to ask in confidence and with faith that the Lord is hearing me and that he is going to answer my prayer. Every time. Every time. It's miracles and it's faith. That's what these works are. So don't let someone convince you, oh, he's not talking about miracles there. That is wrong. 
Let's go to verse 15, and I, I want you to, if you have a, a pen today, or if you could borrow one from somebody, I want you to circle a few things and underline a few things today. Because we're going to see repetition. And, and if you were to go to a, a, a Bible school and study, you know, how to study the Bible, one thing they would have you look for is when things are repeated in the Word of God. That's something that, that should catch your eye. Like, there's a reason things are repeated. It's because they want you to be, they want it to be highlighted. The writer wanted to highlight it. They were inspired by the Spirit to write it that way. And so listen to Jesus' words here. What I want you to do is every time you see the word love, I want you to circle the word love. And every time you see the word commandment, I want you to underline the word commandment. Because we're going to tie these together, and I believe it goes into what Wes and Danny were saying earlier today. In verse 15, it says this. If you love me, so let's circle love me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Underline that. He's launching into this next paragraph here, this next statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. A lot of people say they love Jesus. And something that we've, we've taught around here for a while is, is Jesus is Savior and he is Lord. Everyone loves the idea of Jesus being Savior. Because what does that mean? It means grace. It means my sins are forgiven. It means I don't have to have shame anymore. It means the blood of Jesus has wiped away my record of debt against him. Like, I am clean because he died for me. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Help me preach this morning. We love the idea of Jesus being Savior. This is Jesus dying on the cross. Which is humbling. It's humbling. And can I tell you this morning, if you truly get a revelation of what Jesus did for you, it, it makes your struggle against sin a little easier because you're like, why would I sin when it's what put my Savior on the cross? Why would I walk in that when that's what hurt my Lord? But we love the mercy and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ this morning. Amen. But Jesus didn't just die on the cross. He also rose from the dead proving that he is Lord and master over the universe. So he isn't just a savior who died, but he's a Lord who's been resurrected. And because he is Lord, he's master. And this is where we begin to have the problem. Because, yeah, Jesus, I like that you died for my sins, but I don't necessarily want to do what you say to me. This is where people start going, oh, wait a minute. That's like in discipleship, we have these four phases of discipleship. We say, come and see, come and follow, come and die. And we saw that in John chapter 6 when Jesus began to say, well, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What is he saying? If you come and die with me so you can be my disciples, people are going, that's weird. And what did they do? They walked away. Like, Jesus, we like that you're, you're feeding us. We like that you're helping us. We like that you're making us feel good about ourselves. You're healing us. But when we have to start dying with you and dying to ourselves, we don't want to be a part of that anymore. That's what we struggled with this morning, right? Is dying to ourselves. We, we talked about it this morning in our, in our prayer. 
circle before church, our, our ministry prayer, it's, it's if we could just die and cease to exist. Do you know when you die, you go to heaven, right? If you know Jesus, when you die, you go to heaven, right? Do you realize that you could have heaven on earth if you would just die today? But how hard is that? I have all the things I want, all the things I desire. That's kind of what Danny was saying. I desire the, uh, the chiefs, chiefs kingdom, right? But the kingdom of God is pulling at my heart. And thank you for just getting up here and being vulnerable in front of everyone. That's not easy to do. Jesus, I love the idea of you being Savior, but he also wants to be Lord. And so what does he say here? He says, if you love me, you will do what? Keep my commands. And it's placed in that order on purpose because what we see from the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day, they think if they keep his commands, then he will love them. If I keep the commands of the Lord, then he will love me. And that's where some churches have, have things wrong when they're like, well, you, they need to stop doing all this sinful stuff. The world needs to stop sinning. The world needs to stop doing all these things. Y'all. They're not going to stop sinning because they don't love him. Like, it doesn't help for someone to just pretend like they're keeping commands to earn the love of God when it's not in their heart. That's just being fake. And this is not what God has called us to. He hasn't called us to a fake gospel of trying to clean up and look good on the outside for appearance to everyone else. Y'all. That, that's one of the things we've, we've tried to teach when we're discipling others around here, to be open, honest, and vulnerable. Say, look, I am not perfect. I am not perfect. It was just this morning, if it's okay if I'm share, just this morning when I was sitting um, alone in the bedroom, my wife went off on a run, and, and I was sitting there, and I had my Bible here, and then my phone was right here, and then all of a sudden it was like, you know, I could just look at whatever I want on my phone right now. I haven't been tempted like that in a long time. And I went, whoa. And I got up, got out of my room, went and got a cup of coffee. I got tempted. I got tempted. Thank God that his grace was like, he said, you know what he said to me? He said, who are you? And I was like, I I'm a follower of Christ. And so I got up and left because the Bible says flee that kind of temptation. Run away. Run away. The phone stays in the bedroom. I'm running in. Let's get some coffee. We don't have to pretend like we have it all together. What we have to do is say, my heart needs to be surrendered to Christ. Looking good just for the sake of looking good. Jesus called people like that whitewashed tombs, right? Like you're painted all white and you look nice on the outside, but inside there's a dead, dead rotting corpse. Stinky. That's not what we want. What we want is we want a heart that cries out to the Father saying, I need you, I want you, I desire you. And sometimes we mess up when we get it wrong, but we're going to be authentic about it and have 
men and women of God around us that can lead us back to the path of righteousness. Not so that we can look good, but so that we can, we, we can truly know who Jesus is. What does Jesus say here? If you love me, then you will keep my commands. What does that mean? Someone who is not following the commands of Jesus doesn't actually love him. A lot of people like to say, well, you can't judge me. You're right. We're not the judge. However, Jesus also said you can know people by their fruit. In fact, what is Jesus saying? There? He says you can judge people by their fruit is what he's saying. When most of the time, when people say you can't judge me, what they're trying to actually say is I'm happy with my sin. Leave me alone. That's what they're really saying. Don't judge me. I love my sin. I would say to us today, if, if we are trying to get people to change just for the sake of changing their ways, we're coming at it wrong. We have to first introduce people to the love of Jesus. The testimony John gave today, yeah, it'd be great for any person to change from doing some of those things that, that he was doing. But if it's just doing to look better, that's just that whitewashed tomb. But what happened? The moment God got a hold of his heart, he realized something in me has to change. Like things have to be different. I have to start following the commands of Christ. We're going to come back to some of these verses. Let's skip to verse 21. It says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, so underline, commandments. Whoever, ha whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who, and circle that loves me, he who, circle, loves me will be loved by my Father. So circle, loved by my Father. And I will love him, circle love him, and manifest myself to him. What he's saying is, I will reveal myself to you. If you love me, you'll obey me, and I'll reveal myself to you. So Judas, not Iscariot, there's another Judas, and so John was just make sure this is a different Judas, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us or show yourself to us and not to the world. And Jesus says this, 23. If anyone circle loves me, he will what? Keep my word. He's just repeating himself here again. And my father will what? Love him. And he will come to him and make, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me, you can circle that not love me there because it's talking about love again, does not, what, keep my words. You underline that there. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Well, who is Jesus to say these things? Let's skip over to the last verse we're going to talk about. In this chapter, verse 31, it says, Jesus says, but I do as what? The Father commanded me. You can underline that. So that the world may know that what? I love the Father. And then he says, rise, let's go from here because they're getting ready to go somewhere else. But here's what Jesus is saying at the end of that. He's saying, I'm actually showing you 
as an example. I'm the example of this, Jesus is saying. See, Jesus is saying, because I love the Father, I do the commandments he gives me. Well, isn't Jesus and God, the Father, the same person? Yeah, but aren't they different? Yeah. It's about to get weirder because we're about to talk about the Holy Spirit here in just a second. But Jesus is an example, an earthly example to us. You realize Jesus didn't come as an example to show us that we can't ever do it because we're not God in the flesh. He actually came to show us you can have a flesh and still do these things. Some people are like, yeah, but Jesus was different. He was God. Then you've missed the point. Yeah, I get it. Jesus was different. But he was an example to us to walk in the way he walked and do the things he did. Jesus said, be perfect as I am perfect. And he didn't say that because he was like, but you'll never make it, you jokers. He said it because he meant it. Well, I haven't made it there yet. Neither have any of us. And yet it's still the standard to walk in the way that Jesus walked. You know what's crazy? The Bible says when we see him, we will be like him as he is. There's a day coming when we put our eyes on Jesus. We will be like him. And then we really will be able to manifest all these things. Until then, we'll do our best to set our eyes on him in this world. And the more we set our eyes on him, the more we'll be like him here and now. Let's back up to verse 16. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. He says this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Say helper. This word could be helper. It could be comforter. It could be advocate. It could be counselor. It can be translated a few different ways. What is this? This is a person who is coming on your behalf to help you. A comforter, a counselor, a helper. Someone who's on your side, on your team. You know, it's always great when you have someone on your team. You've ever, you ever been picked for teams and you get picked on the team that has all the kids that you know, you're like, oh, this is going to be bad. Like, these kids are all for themselves. We're going to lose. And then you've ever picked on the team where the kids are like, hey, we're going to help each other out. We're going to win this thing. We got this. And then success, right? Unless you're on my team. If it had a ball and you were on my team, it, you're going to lose no matter what. The only thing I was good at was running. It says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him and he dwells with you. And will be in you. And I love this word here. This word dwells is the word we use around here a lot. Abides in you. It says you will know him for he what abides in you and will be in you. Like he lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He's this helper, this comforter that's always with you. And here's what Jesus is talking about. The reality is Jesus is about to be arrested to be taken to be nailed on the cross. And these guys are about to be in full panic mode. He's already told Peter, you're going to deny me. These guys are about to freak out. They're going to about to be in terror because the man they've been following that's, that's healed the sick and, and raised the dead and has taught this message of love to so many people, now he himself is going to be 
crucified. So they will feel alone. But verse 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will also live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. And then he goes on to talk about his commandments again, which we've talked about at length. Skip down to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the comforter, the counselor, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Can I tell you? The Holy Spirit, he teaches us, and he brings to remembrance the words of Jesus. This is why, like, when we're discipling someone, we hear say around here a lot, instead of saying, well, I think you should do this, or I think, let let me just give you some of my advice for a second. How many know some of our advice isn't so good? How many have ever given bad advice before? And it wasn't on purpose. It was just after the fact. You were just like, oh, that was bad advice. But at the time, you kind of believed it, right? You're like, that was really bad advice. Maybe even the person came back to you and was like, that was awful. That was terrible advice. What were you thinking? That's the problem. You were thinking. Right? That's why what we, we teach here, instead of saying, I think, we say what? I'm reminded. I'm reminded in the word of God. I'm reminded of the word. And it comes from, the reason we say that so much comes from this passage right here. I'm reminded. How are you reminded? Well, the Holy Spirit is reminding you of the words of Christ. I am reminded that no weapon formed against you will prosper. I am reminded that by his stripes we were healed. I am reminded that he binds the brokenhearted. And then we can take off from there. This, this verse right here has given me so much more peace as a, a pastor because when I first became a pastor years ago, I was in great stress because people come to you and they have all these issues going on in their life and some of them are weird. And you call up your other pastor friends and you're like, they never taught us about this situation in Bible school. This is weird. What do I do? How do I react in this situation? How am I supposed to help? I mean, there's so much, can I tell you, there's so much peace. Instead of having to figure out all the answers, just say, okay, you know what? I'm reminded in the Word. And just go to the Word of God. If we can go to the Word of God, it will save us on so many of the problems we create in ourselves. This is what Jesus says in verse 27. Because get it, you've got to put yourself in these disciples' shoes for just a second. Jesus is telling them he's leaving. He's telling them he's about to be gone. They don't fully understand the extent of it yet. And he's trying to provide some peace and comfort and saying, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm leaving you a helper, a comforter. And they're probably confused in this moment about what's about to happen. But he goes on to say this in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world 
gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Then he goes on to say, you have heard me say I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I now. I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as my father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. And I want you to know that Jesus, he's making this statement here. He says, the rule of this world has no claim on me. Do you realize the scripture teaches, it says the wages of sin is death. Every person who sins owes a death. And this is what Jesus is saying here. He goes, but this same enemy, he has no claim on me. I never have to die. Jesus was the only sinless man who never had to die. Death had no claim on him. And yet he says to himself, I lay down my life willingly. I choose this. Not because it's demanded of me, but because I lay it down. But in the middle of this, Jesus gives this statement about peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives peace. You know, the world is always trying to give peace. Here you can find it at the bottom of a bottle. That that sign on the liquor store in Berryville drives me crazy. It says that wine is cheaper than therapy. Here, find some peace. Or we, we find it sometimes in drugs. Or we find it in mindless scrolling. We're, we're always looking for peace somewhere. Or we, we try to like grab onto our spouse and say, you have to be my peace for me. Well, wait a minute. Now, it's good to have a spouse that will walk with you in the Lord and encourage you. But they themselves can't be your peace. We look for peace in all the wrong places, and and the peace that the world gives isn't true peace. It always fails us because the buzz will wear off or the high will come down. But the peace Jesus gives is a different kind of peace, and it's a peace that comes through the cross. You realize, like, the Scripture talks about this wall of hostility between us and God. It's kind of like these men were saying this morning. It's our flesh and the spirit waging war against each other. And our flesh is like, well, here's the commandments of Scripture. Here's the laws. This is what Ephesians calls it. I think it's Ephesians 2. It talks about here's all the commandments you have to keep. And here's the spirit of God. And your flesh is just at war. It's this wall of hostility. Hostility, this, this word of this fighting, this this violent war within us. Like, I want to do right, but I can't for some reason. And so we don't have peace. Can I tell you this morning that when we surrender ourselves to the words of Christ, there's peace. Think about that time you felt a temptation. 
when you gave in to the temptation, you felt crummy. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, he's convicting you of sin. Why? Because he's a counselor. He's an advocate for you. He said, this is not good for you. And yet, when you've resisted that sin and walked in a path of righteousness, what do you experience? Peace. Like, wait a minute. I, I just overcame that sin. Well, maybe it wasn't so much you, right? Maybe it was the Spirit of God working through you. That's right, right? Because on my own, I choose the wrong thing. But when I am obedient to the words of Christ, then I have peace. Because I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm with Wes, a homework assignment. Go read Galatians 5. And something I want to point out about Galatians 5, and it's funny because I read a commentary on John 14, and guess where it took me? To Galatians 5. And you know what it talks about in Galatians 5? It talks about the works of the flesh. They're evident. No one has to tell you when you're doing something wrong. You know. Like people who are like lost in sin, they know what they're doing isn't right. They double down on it. But they're lost. But it says, but the, the works of the flesh are evident, but the fruit of the Spirit is, it starts with love. My dad would argue that is the fruit of the Spirit. And the rest of them are just ways of showing love. I don't think that's harmful. But it says, it gives us those nine fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness self-control. Can I tell you the thing that occurred to me is like, when kids are little, we teach them the fruits of the Spirit. And we kind of teach it wrong. Because we say, well, you, you need to be kind. You need to be gentle. You need to have self-control. That's teaching it wrong. You know what we need to say? You need the Spirit. That's what you need. You don't need to be kind. You need the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, guess what you'll be? Kind. The moments when you weren't kind to someone is because you weren't walking in the Spirit. It's obvious now, right? It was harder in that moment when you weren't walking in the Spirit. You don't need to have more self-control. You know what you need to do? Walk in the Spirit. That's what the Scripture says. If we walk in the Spirit, then we won't what? Gratify the desires of the flesh. I think that's Colossians 3. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What we need is the Holy Spirit to come and be our helper, be our comforter, and He gives us peace when we obey the commands of Jesus because the Holy Spirit's bringing them into our remembrance. Sometimes we try to do the work of the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit and remind people just how awful they are. Anybody ever been guilty of that? Wow. If God would just get a hold of our hearts, too. And the same grace that we've received, if we could extend it to others. Pastor Drew, how do I extend grace to someone? Just show them love and kindness starting now. Just start today. Just start now. It's, it's humiliating, though. I really screwed up. It's humiliating to do the right thing after you've done the wrong thing. Because then they're like, well, you're just trying to make up for, okay, maybe you are. But also you're trying to be obedient to the Spirit. And can I tell you something? The only person you have to answer to is God. 
Stop trying to justify yourself in the people's lives around you and live your life for God. Just Him. Robert, can you join me? I know a lot of people have plans this afternoon, and if it's, yeah, if it's, if it's the Lord's will, if it's the Lord's will, we'll get you there, right? I want to say along that line, um, In 1970, February 1970, so 53 years ago this month, 53 years ago last week, um, at Asbury College, chapel started, and I don't know, has anyone ever been to a college Bible chapel? Sometimes they're good, sometimes it's like, okay, usually they're required. So you go, and you're like, all right, let's, let's do this thing so I can get on with the rest of my day. February 1970, chapel started, and it continued at Asbury College for days on end. Like, the students just lingered. Because the Spirit of God had fallen on that room in that chapel. And what's exciting is from that, those students, those college students begin to go out and preach the gospel. And go out to other communities and tell people of the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. And many came to know Jesus as Savior and Lord because these students... They came to this room to go to chapel, and in the middle of it, God fell, and they just said, I can't leave until I get a hold of them. Something mundane and something boring, the presence of God showed up. What what stirs my heart today is here we are, 53 years later, at that same college, Chapel started on Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. And, and as of right now, they're still going. Like the service hasn't ended. And, and you know, as a teenager, I got to see God move. I got to go to Florida and wa- witness the, the move of God. I got to see... God moved here at this church in the late 90s. In a year's time, we had 400 people come to Christ. It's just insane. And so, having seen that, like, it's, it's really hard. What I really want to do is hop on my car and drive the 10 hours to Kentucky to be a part of this service. Because I've I've tasted and I've seen and I know the Lord is good. And as much as I know, what I know with all my heart is if God can do it there, He can do it here. It just takes the heart of people who are willing to die. 
It takes the heart of people who are willing to hear the words of Christ through the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying we need revival. And I'm not even calling that revival. I, I think I mean, people are being revived, so maybe it's not a bad term, but when we say labels like this, it comes up with all these preconceived ideas of what it looks like. What I'm saying is, is that we need the Spirit of God. And what I'm not saying that we need the Spirit of God, I'm saying I need the Spirit of God. Like, I need the Holy Spirit. I need to follow the words of Christ more. Like, I want God to move for His sake, not for my sake. So God can be glorified, not so that forerunner house of prayer can be glorified. Heck, God move and Lord will rip the sign down so no one knows what this place is called, just so they can come in and, and experience you. Like, it's, it's not about Evhop. It's about Jesus. And so, as a, as a pastor of this congregation, as, a, as the shepherd, what I'm, what I'm asking us to do is to continue to pray and fast that the Lord will move. I don't know what it looks like, and I don't honestly care. we could just die to ourselves so Jesus could be glorified. If we could just die to ourselves so that Jesus could be glorified, can I tell you something? It'll look different in every single one of our lives, but it'll look the same too. I don't understand that. Close your eyes for just a second. I, I just want to I want you to reflect on a couple of things because and we've talked about the flesh waging war in our spirit and we've talked about being obedient to the words of Christ and Romans tells us that if we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead but we also have to confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord like the Lordship of Jesus is the deal he's Savior and Lord right but the, the question I have for us is, is the cry of your heart, Jesus, I need you? Is the cry of your heart, Jesus, I need you? Like, I, and I don't care how much sin you've been involved in. I don't care how good or bad you think you are. Is the cry of your heart, Jesus, I need you. And if you say, Pastor Drew, no, it's not, is the next thing is, do you realize it's not? And so is the next, next thing in your heart saying, okay, it needs to be. So maybe the cry of your heart this morning isn't, Jesus, I need you, but you think, but it needs to be. 
And so thank God for that. Thank God for that. But it needs to be. And if it's neither of those things, then my heart and prayer is for you that you will know Christ. But if you're honest this morning and say, it's not the cry of my heart, but it needs to be, then that's the Holy Spirit working in your life right now this morning and saying, look, I want to bring you to a new place in me. And so if you're in that second group saying, but it, it needs to be, I don't feel that way, but it needs to be the way I feel. Then like, like a kid who's sick and refuses to eat, you, you need to pick up the spiritual soup, the chicken noodle soup of the Spirit, and just begin to eat. You need to lean into Christ say, Jesus, it needs to be. And begin to pray and get in your Word and say, I don't feel a thing. It's not about the feeling. It's about you leaning in to Him, be obedient to Him. Until you get to the place where you say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. to his commands not not the commands of your your husband your wife your pastor your youth pastor your, your parents your siblings not, not your teachers not that's not what we're talking about this morning don't let those people be an idol in your life we're talking about the words of Jesus this morning do you need him